welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. A hungry author is someone who is, quite simply, hungry for it. They're willing to do what it takes to achieve their writing dreams. If that resonates, you're in the right place. I'm Ariel. And I'm Liz. We're two book coaches, editors, and writers here to help you get there. We interview experts and chat about all things publishing and writing to educate and build a community of successful writers, whatever that means to you. Welcome. Let's get started. Welcome back, everyone, to the Hungry Authors Podcast. We are super excited today. We've got a dear friend on with us, Erica Anderson. Um, she's a freelance writer, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. But if you have been around us um, for a while and listening to us, you've probably heard us mention her before or seen us, you know, share her stuff on social media. Um, we certainly like to um, send a lot of people her way because she has so many incredible insights to share. So, Erica, welcome to the podcast finally. And um, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Uh, well, like you said, I'm Erica Anderson, and I am a freelance writer and a freelance writing coach, kind of have the whole business thing going on. But um, I'm a columnist at World Magazine and Christianity Today. And um, I also teach people how to get bylines in magazines and newspapers and also just make an income from their freelance writing. That's a passion of mine. And I've been doing that for, gosh, a year and a half now, and I really love it. So thank you so much for having me on. It feels like you've been doing it a lot longer than just a year and a half because you're so amazing at it and you've got all these incredible resources. So great. Well, great job. you know, it's like <laughs> collecting all that knowledge and then putting it out into a form where people can actually um, ingest it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I've been doing the writing a lot longer than that. So, right. Yeah. 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 Well, Erica, to kick it off, I mean, there's so much to say about bylines and getting published and whether you want to like just be a writer who does that as their full-time career and earns money that way, or if you want it to use it as a jumping off platform for something else. But one of the things that interests Ariel and I the most um, is getting published in reputable third-party publications. And by that, I mean like not your own Substack or your own blog, getting published somewhere else um, as a part of your platform, as platform building. You know, people always talk about platform as in terms of social media and email lists. And we all know that, and that's been said to death. But um, what people, what isn't talked about as much is the credibility and the network and the experience and the proof of concept that can come from testing out your ideas and um, having them published in reputable publications and how you can use that in your query letter and you can use that there's just all the insane benefits of it so anyway talk to us about using bylines as a path to potential authorship of an actual book Right. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes I hear people talking about their book ideas and there's like, I'm so busy working on my book. I don't really have time for everything else, but it's like really the byline and the article writing is the pathway to the book. And there's no rule out there saying that, you know, what you write in your freelance article can't be something that you also put in your book. And like you say, proof of concept, that's really important. It goes to show you, is this idea sellable? Like, is this something that is marketable to people that people want to read? And in that process, you find out what is or isn't about it. And it helps you, it can help you tweak the idea 
to be something that might be a better fit for the book or a better way that you're going to sell it in your book proposal. Um, so that's definitely one side of it. And the bar is so much lower. I mean, a book, getting a book deal is like way up here. <laughs> getting a freelance article published is like, anybody can do that. You don't have to write a book proposal for that. You just have to write a good pitch. And that could literally be, be two paragraphs, you know? And so it's such a great way to practice. You have, you can try a million times, you can try it a million places. Um, and it gives you so much insight into your idea. And, and then you also realize, well, also you could like come up with chapter ideas as you kind of come up with various ways to pitch, you know, certain parts of that idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you're just getting loads of insight by using the freelance writing world to, to mold and shape that idea and sort of, you know, fill it in with, with lots of different things. Yeah, that's so interesting. Let's talk about the pitch because you say, you know, it, it's easier than a book proposal. And I think it is in some ways, but also for me who, you know, really has the more experience writing book proposals, the thought of trying to distill a whole idea into just two paragraphs also is really intimidating. So how do you help people think about writing a really great pitch for, mm -hmm. for articles? Right. So if you had a book idea and it was like big concept book idea, I mean, I think like if you already were working on your proposal, that's helpful because you already have to break that down into chapters. Um, so that's going to help you uh, chop it up and kind of find the various ideas that you're looking at. Um, but for me, a pitch um, always comes down to, you know, what is the trend and what is the evidence that's that's happening out there that's going to make somebody actually want to read it? And that's going to matter for your book proposal, too. Like you want to be able to prove that there is um, an interest in this topic and like, why is there a, a, a timely interest in this topic? Generally, obviously, it's going to be a, a longer term interest for a book proposal. But for an article, you can usually find slices of that that are happening in life. So, um, you know, data is my like number one best friend when it comes to this stuff, because there is always fresh studies and data coming out about almost everything. I mean, people are funding research for every topic under the sun. And so whatever it is you're working on, you can usually find some research or piece of fresh data to sort of um, hook to what your idea is to make it be like, hey, this is relevant. Look, people are talking about this. This just happened. And then also finding what's happening and culture that's related to your idea. So um, I, don't, I don't have something specific in mind right now, but you can almost always sort of start Googling around and say, okay, where is this happening? Where is there a trend line here that I can hook to my idea and show that what I'm talking about matters, people care, or, or what makes it interesting right now? Yeah, I see everyone talking right now about Barbie. There's so many Barbie uh, articles. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> that, a big yeah, topic that's right now. One of those oversaturated ones where it's that's a tough one because you know everybody's because all the freelance writers are like, oh, I've you know I've right. got something. Um, but it, it you know when it comes to that also, it's a matter of kind of training yourself. Well, how can I think differently than other people? What is my um, you know non-orthodox take on this that not everyone else is saying? And and sometimes that's a matter of you know, you just have to stop and think. Um, I, I have this problem myself. I'm always going, I have a million things to do and sitting down to clear out my brain and actually just do some brainstorming is, is hard and I don't do it enough, but you'll be surprised what you come up with when you do. Um, just a quick example of that. I actually just put this up in a TikTok video. Um, but I, yesterday, 
I had an article that I had pitched actually that my, one of my editors um, had said yes to the idea, but by the time I turned it in, he was like, well, we already had something on that. And then the main editor said, we doesn't want more than one article. You might want to try to find a different home for it. Well, long story short, like this article is not going to be published. It was like a moment in time that lasted 24 hours and nobody cares anymore. So I was doing a last ditch effort at this one editor, but I was like, he's probably going to say no. So I don't want to, I don't want to like have nothing else for him. So I want to pitch him something. And I didn't have any idea what I was going to pitch this guy when I sent this email, but I was like, all right, just stop. Think about it. You know, as an editor I've worked with before, but it'd been a long time. Like, you know what he likes, like you kind of know the vibe of this magazine, like what's happening lately that, you know, you care about. Anyway, long story short, within 10 minutes, I came up with an idea that I thought might work and I pitched it to him in the email and he said, yes. And so I'm like, that's the power of like, just doing the hard brain work and like, just like really, I mean, maybe it's not, it's not always that easy, you know, that I can do it in 10 minutes, but I do think we neglect the power of, of, of just taking that time to clear our brains and do that hard mental work. And also thinking of it like a skill that you get better at yes, or that a muscle that you learn to flex. Like I was thinking about this the other day, I was listening to a pop culture podcast where they, um, like, you know, it's called the rewatchables. They, you know, talk about movies that are rewatchable. Anyway, one of the categories that they have on there, um, is like they talk about their takes and this is from the ringer network so a lot of these guys they're writers they're kind of journalists by trade and so they're like okay what are your like hot takes about this movie what are your hot takes about you know the casting and stuff and it's basically where everyone talks about their i don't know if controversial opinion is necessarily the term i want to use but you know like a polarizing interesting unique thing to say about it and like they just do this with all these their movies and I was listening to them talk about it and I was like you know when I write proposals when I write query letters when you write pitches when journalists have to just about like every day if you work in a traditional newsroom of some kind or like you know uh magazine like place or whatever you have to come up with basically takes like what's your take you know like okay you want to talk about this one thing you know, like, talk to me about how you learn to build this skill and flex this muscle of like, learning to find a different angle that hasn't been said to death. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, one thing that I remind people is like, stop thinking about yourself. Um, you're worried about like, what's, okay, what am I going to say? And like, it's not it's like, wh why does like, ask yourself, why does anyone care? <laughs> Why is this interesting? Like have these two questions, like sort of put them on a post-it. Why does anyone care? Why is this interesting? And so I think that's a good starting point, but also, um, you know, the more that you pitch, the more that you start to, to recognize the things that make an idea pop. So I'll say data again is really important. I think people neglect this because it really is the persuadable, um, thing. Like if you can put it in there, Hey, look, this is happening. I'm not just saying this, this is actually happening. And then you can put a face on that. So it's like, you get these sort of different components and these different pieces that make a pitch good. And I would say, you know, one is data two is like, what's the, what's the actual human face on the story. So, so you have the piece of data, 
you also have the human story. Well, here in Chicago, we saw that this actually happened to this person. It doesn't have to be a person you've actually interviewed. It's just like you have a link to the story that proves the point that you're making. And then also when it comes to the pitch, you know, there's an art to the pitch in terms of how you structure the subject line and the first sentence and the sign off and all that, which that's that's really the easy part because you can learn how to do that. It's it's the middle part that's harder. Um, but the more you do it, the better that you get at getting all these components in and sort of seeing like, is the editor actually going to go for this? And how do you, you know, how do you just like in, in any kind of writing, so how do you take out anything unnecessary? Like you do not want unnecessary words in this pitch. Like there's not enough time in the day. Editors have too many emails. You want to get to the point. You want to make yourself known and you can do that in different ways. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to go, I was going to tell a, like an off, <laughs> off tangent story, but I, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> well, Liz and I both took your Bragworthy bylines course, which was wonderful. Um, but I think one of the biggest takeaways that I have, like that has stayed with me from that course was just the importance of having, having something to say, like having an argument, having that take, like Liz said, and also that's another thing that feels really intimidating to me sometimes is like, well, I don't want to make people mad. I don't want to, <laughs> I, and I don't always know, like, I don't always know what is like an interesting argument. I don't want to just like manufacture something just for the sake of trying to say something edgy, you know, that's going to catch people's attention. How do you like help people kind of gain the confidence, even in their own ideas to like put something out there that is a little bit edgy or controversial or might hit some buttons and that's okay. Well, I think you want to make sure that your idea actually does have legs and, in, 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 you know, you have a basis for what you're saying. Like when I'm working on something, I'm usually checking myself. I'm like going out there and I'm like, okay, like, I just want to make sure I'm not totally off base. Like what else is being said? What's being reported about this? Like, you know, don't go at it blindly, educate yourself and inform yourself on the topic. Um, and that sort of goes to talking about the niche area, because like, for me, I have certain issues that I hit on again and again. And every time I write about those or pitch something about those, it actually is easier because I know what's going on in, the, in that world because I'm writing about it on a regular basis. So I know what people are saying. And so the more that you sort of are hitting the same topic, you become more of an expert. And so you feel more confident in your thoughts and opinions about that. And you also know where to gain that evidence and those examples and, you know, kind of find what you need to have your idea stand on something. I mean, the other thing is it doesn't have to necessarily be some super controversial opinion. It could be more like a thoughtful take, or it could also be more of a reported type of thing where you're not necessarily, I, I think I do a lot of, um, reporting, op reported opinion, like just, I don't know anyone's, I don't know that anyone's actually calling it that. But what I tend to do is I write a lot of opinion, but it's always very well sourced and well reported. Um, I've, I've got a lot to back up what I'm saying. I have, you know, quotes from experts. I've got those links to the data. So I look at anything I write as, um, you know, it has to be supported by the facts. Um, I'm, I went to journalism school, so I have you know, journalism at the heart of me. And I think that everyone should do that with their writing. I don't care what you're writing about the more that you can insert um, evidence for what you're saying, the better it's going to be because it just gives you such, such more of a foundation for what you're writing. 
tell me about how if people haven't ever pitched before or you know been published anywhere but have like big dreams for it do you recommend they just like go for the gold and start with like the new york times <laughs> or start with like a local spot like is there a process to that or you know what how do you think about that I think you can go for the gold. I wouldn't tell someone not to, but you're not going to get yeah. very far if you have absolutely no idea like where to go or how to write a pitch. Um, so yeah. I would probably educate yourself a little bit. I mean, you could literally just educate yourself by looking at my Instagram channel, probably and get all the, all the, at least basic information that you need. That's um, true. Or your TikTok. Yeah. Both. Very all, good. I'm all yeah. over the place. Um, it mm -hmm. just has a lot of good sort of the basics, like here's what, you know, do's and don'ts of you know, basic pitching rules. Um, I would say one thing I was going to mention earlier is um, a good sort of um, measuring stick or, you know, helping you get to where you know what you really want to say is can you, um, can you sum up your idea in one sentence? Can you create or a brainstorm? Like what are three different headlines that this could be? Because if you can't really say what you want to say in, in a headline or a sentence, then you don't really know what you want to say. And you want, you have to know what you want to say for an editor to be like, yes. Because <laughs> they so need to know. Too. <laughs> yeah. They need to know that you know what you're trying to say, or they're like, this is going to be a hot mess and I'm going to have to provide too much guidance. And I find that editors, most of them that I've worked with don't want to have a, like a lot of hands-on. Some do. I don't want to say none do. Um, but most of the editors I've worked up have taken a pretty hands-off approach to, to the things I've written. Um, okay. Where was I going with that? Oh, what would you do first? Okay. So, so I think, you know, I, I encourage people to pitch wherever they want. Um, but it is, it is sort of less intimidating, of course, to, to try smaller publications. And it's also more likely that you're going to get some yeses when you start on a lower scale. Like I would say for myself, I really started at, um, I started at a couple of places that I was familiar with that they didn't pay, but I was able to get in there. Like one of the first places I published was scary mommy and that, um, does not pay, but I think they probably accept a higher number of submissions than a normal place. And I was stoked with that. Like, I was like, this is awesome. Like people read this website. It's impressive. It doesn't matter if I got paid. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't doing it for the pay that, at that time. Um, and so I think you can boost your confidence by starting at some of those websites. I know like her view from home is one that I, a lot of people I know have started with. Um, and so, so yeah, like get started there. But if you have a really big idea and you're like, I don't know, I feel like this is bigger than that. Like, I feel like I could do this. I could send this to a bigger publication. Like I would encourage you to do that as long as you know, sort of the basics of how to pitch. Like, for example, you guys know this never send to a submissions email. Don't send to submissions at the New York times. Cause like probably never going to get seen. It's going to get buried. You always want to send to the editor's email. Um, which isn't that hard to find if you, again, if you follow me, I tell you all the secrets, um, but you can find the email addresses of editors for pretty much anywhere if you know how to look for them. Well, that speaks back to what you were saying about like knowing your niche too. Like I, you know, we, we write and, and speak about publishing. And so for us, it just makes sense that we are pitching to Jane Friedman and we're pitching to, you know, Publishers Weekly and, and things like that. And it's a lot easier for us to, to do that because one, we know what's going on in those spaces and 
they also have a higher likelihood of knowing us already. (laughs) So I think that makes sense that like, as you kind of drill down into your, your niche, your area, that it's, it's a lot easier to open those doors because you know, what's going on. Yeah. And I will say I've actually, I've had requests. Like I pretty active on Twitter. I have been for a long time. Um, and I've made a name for myself writing about certain things. And so I put my takes sometimes on Twitter, um, or even Instagram at times, like just whatever social media. And I have had, I wouldn't say this happens a lot, but I have had people come to me like, Hey, would you want to write something about that for us? I'm like, you know, and that's the dream that's, I always am like, so pumped because you, I've never had anyone like, I've never had like the New York times come and ask me that, but I've had lower, you know, sort of tier places and I don't care. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like I didn't even have to pitch that. They are just asking me to write about it. This is awesome. <laughs> so that is amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. I've heard other people talk about that too, that like you might not, even if you don't get um, approached to write something on like through a DM on social media, just by like popping up regularly on the feeds of editors whose radar you're trying to get on when you do pitch them, if your name, it's not the first time they're seeing your name. um, And it's not the, like, they are at least somewhat familiar with who you are and that you are engaged in this conversation, you know, in the world. And yeah, I mean, that's just, well, that speaks to something else that I focused on, which is how you use rejection to your advantage. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're getting rejected. It's always a step in the right direction because um, that editor is then becoming familiar with your name. Now, if, and, and I would say about like half the time, oh, sorry, half the time they respond and respond back and like, sorry, we're not going to take this, but like, like that's, that's like, okay, you've just, you've just made yourself known in their mind. Like you are a seed. Now you've, you've begun bridge building with this editor. Um, now if they say, you know, not going to work for us right now, please pitch again. I mean, that's like the golden, you want them to say, if they tell you to pitch again, they mean it. So that's awesome. You have that invitation. Um, they can, you also have that opportunity to write back. And if you're brave, ask them like, so why didn't it work? You know, like, and that's hard to do, but I highly recommend it because some, I mean, I, sometimes they've ignored, I've done it and I've sometimes get no response that other times you do. And if they do give you a response, like that can give you so much insight. And I also find that people sort of they make a lot of assumptions like, oh, it must've been a bad idea. Oh, like I must've not written well in that pitch. Like, but usually it's not that usually it's like, I mean, there's just so many factors as to why somebody would reject your pitch, whether it's like, we just had something on that or the timing doesn't work or we're too full right now. Uh, it's usually not because you have a bad idea. So I would say, you know, take, take rejections as a positive because you've actually made a move. It's one step closer um, and yes, to what you're saying, engaging in that conversation. I mean, I, I know not everybody has time or desire to be on Twitter conversing about things, which I, I totally understand that, but, um, it's X now, everyone, oh, X. it's called, I'll X. never call it that. Well, just like, I'll never X-ing. call Facebook. If you're on there, X. I'm never yeah. calling Facebook meta. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh that. my goodness. I was like, but what's the verb of X now? X-ing. Like to- <laughs> what are, X-ing? what are tweets? What are tweets now? X's? That's I what know. I mean. Yeah. I, I was no just idea. on there sending 
I was just Xing, sending out some X's. <laughs> X like, no, it's just bizarre. Well, speaking about X and Twitter slash Twitter, uh, uh-huh. um, that is a place where editors hang out. I mean, if you're yeah. the media is on Twitter, I mean, the general population may not be hanging out on Twitter, but the media, anyone that's working in magazines and newspapers, for the most part, most of them, I would say, are on Twitter in some capacity. So you can use that to spy on them. What are they talking about? What are they doing? What are they interested in? You can use that, like you could reply to a tweet. You know, you could, um, also you see where when people are accepting pitches, like you, like the, oh, I'm taking pitches for, you know, our issue on, you know, Mother's Day. If you have really unique ideas, send them my way. Um, you could see those. Um, you can also, of course, subscribe to job board opportunities. Um, yeah. send them out every week, which I'm on a couple of those. If you don't have time to be watching Twitter all day. Um, but there are strategic ways to, to be there. And also you can even put, you know, you can put up Google alerts, Twitter search alerts, like things like that. You can sort of keep yourself in the know of what's going on. Um, but Twitter, I think is a place if you are wanting to pitch and land freelance articles, you should at least be present there in some way. Do you see a lot of uh, a lot of editors moving to threads. I'm just curious. Gosh, I have no idea. I started a threads because I thought I had to, but I've really not used it and I don't want to. So I don't know. I need to explore. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of seems like everyone joined and then yeah. everyone's like, eh, not really sure if we're going to use this I thing don't or need not. <laughs> one more thing. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I don't know if it's like what population is on there, but I did hear Jane Friedman say like, and this is a week or two ago, so I'm sure it's maybe even doubled by now because these things grow so fast, but um, it had 150 million users already. Yeah. I mean, but I don't know if that was like, as soon as it comes out, everyone grabs their username or whatever, because they're afraid right. maybe it will be the next big thing, but. Well, and they're pushing know. it on you and you're just like, uh, like for me, I was like, well, I want to get on there right. right away because then I immediately get more followers from being on there. Yeah. And if it doesn't become something and I start using it, at least I'm starting off strong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we let's, shall see to be, to be determined. Yeah. Well, let's switch gears and talk about your books because we'd love to hear kind of how you were able to kind of, you know, leverage your freelance writing into book deals. Can you tell us that story? Yeah. So I think when, when we're talking about how does freelance writing provide a platform for your book? I don't know. It's not so much. I think people sort of think of it as, oh, well, if you get your byline out there, like maybe you can get people to sign up for your email list. I personally didn't see a lot of that so much. Um, although I do make, a, I'm like very obsessive about making sh- what's in my byline. So, you know, if you, they always give you, you know, what's a one sentence byline, I'm always like, I want to make sure I'm sending them exactly where I want them to go. So right now I I send everyone to my latest book. I'm like, Erica Anderson is a freelance writer and the author of link to my book, like go get my book. Right. Um, but prior to that, I might've, um, sent them to like my website where there's a pop-up, um, where they could sign up for my email list or whatever, get information. So that is something you want to be aware of, but I think, for me, especially looking at the second book proposal, um, it is about that, um, reputation or that sort of notoriety you have, um, with those bylines. So I've never had, I mean, I have like a, like a, I guess more of like a small to medium ish type of platform, definitely more than some people that are trying to get book deals, but nothing that's like, oh my gosh, this girl has so many followers, you know? Um, and so I think in writing my, um, book proposal, 
I, I definitely think it catches the eye of an agent or an, or a, or an editor or an acquisitions editor to say like, oh, wow, like she actually wrote about this topic for um, this really reputable newspaper or magazine that shows them that like somebody else has already validated your ideas that this is important and this matters. It also shows that you're a good writer, um, which I'll always remember this uh, with my first book. When I turned in the manuscript, the woman who was editing it, she goes, wow, you're like a really good writer. And I was like, oh, does do you, you get people that aren't, she's like, you'd be surprised <laughs> because, you know, they, yes, they get people that, that are sense. influencers or, or famous, they're right. not good writers, but they've gotten book deals because they have platforms. And so mm-hmm. if you're a good writer, like that's great to an editor. Cause that's like less work for them. I'm not saying that's going to, you know, clinch the deal, but I do think it helps. And so being able to show that your idea has been validated, that you can write about it, that um, you've thought this through. Um, I think that does make a big difference. And also it shows that you have ac- access to a, a wider network of people. So when I write about my, um, uh, my platform marketing um, in terms of what are you going to do in the marketing section of your book proposal? I'm like, well, I'm planning to pitch articles to boom, 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 boom. And I probably can actually do that because look, I've already done it. So I think that that goes to show them like, because those audiences, those eyeballs of those, all of those places, that's a huge number. And it's going to be way bigger than your, you know, 5,000 people that you have following you on Instagram. <laughs> and so I think that's more impressive than, than your social media numbers by far. And, and I think you guys have talked about this a million times, but I think publishers and editors are, are kind of getting to that point where they're like, actually, social media doesn't mean that much in the end, at the end of the day. So this is sort of a a way that you can prop yourself up and be like, look, I do have access to these wider audiences and here's how I'm going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And to your, you know, like being a good writer point, never underestimate how valuable you can be if you just make an editor job easy. True. True. Just make but like organize it right, show them you can deliver something clean, well written, well supported. And, you know, you might already be like heads above the rest just because, you know, we see this in like book writing all the time. That's why ghostwriters are so valuable. It's because a lot of people who get book deals, you know, they either have a platform or they have a decent idea, but writing is a whole skill outside of that, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you can, if you're a person who, you know, can, can turn in a, 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 a article that doesn't require a ton of work from an editor, like dream freelancer. Yeah. You know? Like imagine like you're an editor and you get this manuscript. That's just a horrible mess and you're just dreading going through it. Whereas when you get something from a good writer, even if it's not, you know, a hundred percent, it's still just a matter of reading through it, changing. Cause I, I, you know, it's interesting. Cause I always thought like before I did books, like oh yeah like I hear the editors really like change your book so much and they you know it's they they make it a thousand times better and I'm not saying that editors don't make book but books better they do and I'm thankful that I had them but you know I think because I have writing skill like I didn't feel like it was totally different you know than when I turned it in I felt like it was definitely still my writing and my words and so um yeah I agree that's a great point yeah editors and speaking from personal experience like my favorite authors were the ones that were easy. <laughs> yes. Those were the people that I was like, Hey, do you want to write another book? <laughs> yes, totally. Because they were so fun to work with. And it just like, 
there's, you know, when there's not the barrier of having to just like teach someone how to be a writer, then you can actually engage in the content too. So it's just like mm. such a more enjoyable process. And that's why I think, you know, we talked in, in season one, um, about, you know, just the importance of like, take writing classes, like become a great writer and don't underestimate the value of just like investing in your writing skills, because it really does make a big difference. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't even have to be like, you know, we're not talking about becoming, you know, the next like literary genius or anything like go back to ninth grade English, right. you know, like how do you write an essay? you write a little introduction, you have three points, you make sure that you have some supporting data and then you finish it off. You know, like you tell them what you're going to tell them, you tell them and then you tell them what you <laughs> right. tell them. I mean, not really, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. just some structure, some organization, some like basic stuff. You don't just word vomit it onto the page and then, yeah. you know. I mean, I, I still do this. I even did this today. It'd been a while, but I have this like very simple structure that I got from the op-ed project, which is like a great resource if you're wanting to learn how to write opinion. And um, it's just like this basic opinion structure, like so simple. I don't need to even look it up. I can just, but just having like, you need a lead, you need a thesis, you need an argument, point, point, point. Then the like, counter counteractive statement, it's like called the to be sure statement, like to be sure, okay, give, give the other side their credit, give them their argument, address their argument and then conclusion. And that honestly, that helps me so much. Just be like, okay, like, just make like calm down, get it into a structure. And it doesn't matter if you're writing a 700 page op-ed or you're writing like a 50,000 word book, like it all can be contained within the structure. And when you break it down like that, it's actually doable and it stops being as overwhelming. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I get the sense sometimes that authors are like, oh, you're giving me this like template. That's like, you know, a simplified, like beginner ABC version of like the real yeah. writing or something. And I'm like, no, like I, I literally use this template. I literally make for myself, like, I'm going to have my hook and then I'm going to have my point number one in a story and an exit, you know, and data and blah, blah, blah. No, I literally use that template for myself too. Well, isn't there like a quote that's like, it's something about when you have boundaries, then you have real freedom or something like that. Yeah. I don't remember yeah. exactly what it is, but it's, it's kind of like, and I don't do this in my finances, so I can't attest to it, but I hear if you have a budget, you actually feel more, feel more free because you, <laughs> because you feel like you actually right. have the money rather than just like blindly spending it being like, well, I don't right. know. Um, maybe someday I'll get there on all my finances. Yeah. Well, I was telling Ariel the other day, and I know this sounds like really like a douchey self brag, but I was saying how like I'm, I'm pretty regularly amazed at the feedback I get on early drafts of stuff because I always think it's so much that I'm going to get bad feedback. I, I feel like it's worse than the feedback that I get uh, expresses to me that it is, which again, it feels like, oh, wow, Liz, you think you're so great. But the reason, but I realize the reason why I think I can to some degree, like, because I'm a writer, freelance writer too. So like, sometimes you're up against a deadline, right? You got a bunch of other things going on. You had a client freak out. You had some edit turn around faster than they thought. And now you only have three days and all of a sudden you've got two days to write something that's due to somebody. And I got to crank out a chapter of a book, you know, like it happens to everybody. Sometimes you just don't have the time to put in that you wanted to, but you're up against a deadline. That's what it means to be a professional. You got to get it done. And so 
but and so sometimes it does feel like I'm just like because like I have to get something. Sometimes you need words on the page. Sometimes the the only thing you can do is get to word count more or less, and it almost always turns out like okay. Yeah. But the reason why, other than just experience, is that it's actually not a total vomit. It is still I'm still working from a structure. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're following a structure, that's still like this is what goes here. This is what goes here. This is what goes here. Like you can kind of just get it on the page and it's still pretty usable because it's not nearly as erratic as if, as an actual conversation, you know what I mean? Which is what a lot of people do, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I was just, it was some weird epiphany I had where I was like, oh, you kind of can, a rough draft can turn out pretty dang good. Even if you're just, you feel like you're just getting on, on the page if you're still fitting it within a structure, you know? Yeah. Sometimes I just, it really helps me. Like, for example, if I'm like, okay, I really have this thing I need to write tomorrow. If I can literally spend five minutes and do a brain dump and sort of get notes out on a page. So I'm not starting with a blank page. I'm like, okay, here are like three points that are in my head. I just like, I'm putting them on paper. Okay. I'm going to get to this tomorrow. It helps so much just because that blank page is so you know, we all know it's the blank page. And, right. and so when you have something that really you can work off of, it's just so freeing, I think. So totally. Yeah. Because like the infrastructure is still there, right? Like even when like zoom, like bringing it back to articles, like pitching, like if you have the outline, you have the infrastructure, you know, where you're going to start, you know, where you're going to end. And you more or less know, like the points and the supporting things you want to hit in the middle. Like it's not going to come out totally. Well, and it gives your, and it gives you know? your brain a place to go instead of being like, yeah. okay, what, what, what should I say? What should I say? It's like, okay, well, I, I need a data point. I need a real life example. I need to have like insert some sort of opinion. I need a quote like it, 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 makes your brain sort of start working in a different way. Like it starts going to places that it wouldn't go to if it was just sort of sitting there and be like, go anywhere. Um, and then you come up with things that you wouldn't come up with any other way. Um, and so I'm sure there's a lot you guys teach about that in terms of writing the book proposal as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. I'd like to touch on how you balance so many things because Erica, I think you are one of the writers that I (laughs) <laughs> that I follow and see all the time. And you just, you're constantly doing so much. You have really two platforms because you have an audience for kind of your, your Christian books that you write, but you also have an audience for the writing and teaching how to get bylines and everything. Um, and you write books, you write articles and you do this teaching and like growing a platform thing. So how do you balance all those things? Because I think a lot of people look at you and say like, well, that's what I need to get to. That's kind of what I should be doing. So can you like, like take us behind the scenes? How does that all happen? (laughs) Well, I don't know that. (laughs) I don't know that I would highly recommend the way my brain works. Um, because I do get burnt out pretty frequently because of the way that I do things. But I also think I'm naturally inclined to be a content person. Like I just am a producer. I love producing content. I'm good at doing it quickly and on the fly. I'm not a perfectionist. I think that really plays into how I'm able to do it all because I am a, I am a throw things at the wall. And if they don't work, that's, I don't care (laughs) type of person. Um, And so I'm able to let go of some of those expectations and just put a lot out there. I learned, you know, it's interesting because when I started doing TikTok about 
a year and a half or two years ago or so I was like, okay, like, I'm just going to like try this. And what I found when I did a little research into like, what's the strategy here was like, it was like put out 10 videos a day for 30 days. And I was like, what? (laughs) That's crazy. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, And so I didn't put out that many, but I did spend, I don't know, I would say for like seven days, I would do like five videos a day. And so you can't overthink that. Like I didn't, I would just be like, uh, uh, okay, I have an idea. I'm just going to like pull up my phone. I'm going to walk around my living room and I'm going to say this thing and I'm going to throw it up. Well, what happened was some of those random videos did go viral and somehow I grew like, I now have 25,000 on TikTok. I haven't had like this major growth since like, I don't know, a year ago. Cause I haven't been doing it like that consistently, but I was like, oh my gosh, this strategy actually did work. Now, not everyone can do that. You know, I don't think everyone has the like mental capacity or like just, it's a lot of energy to put yourself on video. What I've been finding lately is video is, is taking more of me than I want it to, because I've been seeing how much short form video matters and I've been doing it a lot and it's starting to like suck me dry. (laughs) So, um, so it's, you know, trying things and seeing what works. And then I think you have to sort of decide like what you're going to cut out. Um, I would say I do sometimes do batching things like I'll do, I'll record like five videos at the same time and and then I'll save them and then I'll use them at different times. So that's good. I also repurpose like crazy. I'm a fan of, I have one video and then I repurpose it into, well, lately, honestly, here's what I've been doing for my content. I've been doing, um, writing my email newsletter recording it for a podcast, videoing myself, reading it for a YouTube video, you know, using it for also a, um, Instagram post, um, repurposing some of the video for TikTok and reels. I mean, it's like so much you can do with one piece of content. And I've been doing that a lot too. So, um, in terms of how do I, you know, sort of balance the rest of it? Um, I don't spend a lot of time on the author platform. So I, my focus is mostly on pitch and publish and growing that. And then my own freelance writing clients, (laughs) because that make me the majority of my money. Um, And so I could be spending a lot more time building myself up as a Christian author and marketing my books. Um, But that's something that I've really put to the side because I don't have time to do everything. And as much as I want more of my books to sell, I also know that even if my books sell more, I'm not going to make more money from that for the most part. And so I'm like, I need, I would like to build this business. And so, yes, I market my books, but it's definitely not a priority. Well, that's really interesting. Okay. Thank you. And there's a lot of good, good nuggets of wisdom in there too. Like pick your battles, pick, pick what you want to focus on, you know, don't be a perfectionist. That's, that has been hard for me for sure, because I often feel on, especially such visual platforms, like, oh my goodness, I have to put on makeup and I have to make the lighting right. And I have to do blah. And I just, I don't have the energy or time. It feels like to do all those things, but at some point you just got to be like, you know what? The lighting's not going to be good and I'm not going to yeah, make up and there's I have filters. Some really ugly looking TikTok <laughs> videos. Like where I, cause I get these ideas and I'm sitting there like in my pajamas with no makeup and my hair. I'm like, I don't, look so ugly right now, but I'm not going to do it if I don't just film it right now. And so I, sometimes I just do it. Yeah. Well, I think that's good. Cause it's, it should be about the content anyway. Right. And I that's think people I value think. the authenticity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, one of our other, uh, guests this season said something similar about numbers. We were talking about platform and she said, um, 
this is a little bit of an unconventional uh, take, if you will. But um, she was saying that at the beginning, she kept getting her book rejected because of small platform, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know what it was, but, you know, really small in the lower hundreds. And so at the beginning, she didn't focus on quality of content or necessarily even like super organic growth because of the quality. She was just aiming for getting numbers, just a numbers game, just putting up a bunch of stuff, doing like follow for follow stuff. Um, and eventually, obviously, you do want to start, you know, having strategy, adding value, whatever, whatever. But she said the funny thing was that after she reached, you know, not even a crazy amount, about 3000 followers, um, she started to, she did start to just organically get more views, reach more people just because of pure numbers, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, anyway, we found that kind of comforting. We're like, oh, well, to some degree, you know, obviously, again, you, you want to have some strategy at some point, but at the beginning, like, just like you said, just try stuff, well, get yeah. out there, the I more, mean- you know, attempts at bats. That's what Steph Crowdy always says. She's like, you just need a bunch of at bats. <laughs> yes. Well, if you think about it, like when you see something from someone and you're like, oh, they have 62 followers, eh, are they really, I mean, they're probably not putting out anything good. Right. So I feel like it's just a matter of like making yourself look a little trustworthy as a content creator. You know, it's like, I, I do, I admit like a number is at least that low. If you're going starting from scratch and I see that you have like 50 followers, I'm kind of questioning what's up here and like why you don't have more. And I know that's maybe that's silly, but Um, I do agree that if you have at least a, I mean, it kind of ends, you know, pretty quickly after that, but um, you have to, you know, there's something about that low number that makes people go, "Mm, I don't know if you're worth following, but then, you know, when you get to a certain capacity, it, you know, it looks better and better and, and agree that, you know, it's like, I have, if I have 25,000 TikTok followers, well, you know, that the bare minimum number of people that I are going to get to see those videos is going to be larger. Um, and it's just going to be easier for that video to take off. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, Erica, to end us, where can listeners kind of engage with you more? I mean, we've mentioned you're on TikTok, you're on Instagram. Um, where's the best place for people to go to learn from you about how to get bylines? Well, you can go to my website, pitchandpublish.co and check that out but there is a free masterclass there that you can just click in and you can just take it and it's free it's like an hour long um and you will learn a lot from that and even if you don't do anything else after that like i still think it's worth your time and if you liked what you heard here you will probably like what you hear there awesome thank you so much thank you thanks for being part of the hungry authors community if you like this episode could you do us a huge favor head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at hungryauthors or hungryauthors.com, our website, to get more information about our masterclasses and upcoming episodes. Remember that you have a story and a message worth publishing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen. Thank you.